It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Alexander Lebedev portrays himself as a critic of the Kremlin. He claims to be a liberal champion of the free press and a crusader against corruption in Russia. But he's either very lucky or something isn't quite what it seems. Because Alexander is still alive. He's never even been jailed. And death or prison are what usually awaits liberals, critics of the Kremlin and campaigners against corruption. Somehow, Alexander's been able to get the balance just right, criticizing the Kremlin without causing real upset. Or perhaps his image is misleading. In 2014, it started to slip. I stayed in touch with him and talked to him from time to time after I was expelled from Russia. But I noticed sort of a turn in his um, behavior when he started to openly support the invasion of Crimea in 2014. And I guess either as a matter of survival or perhaps as, you know, as his own, uh, his own philosophical views, he then sort of took a step into the other side. The other side. Vladimir Putin's side. After Russia annexed Crimea, Alexander's support for Putin began moving out of the shadows and into the open. Perhaps it was philosophical, as Bill said. But Alexander also had financial considerations. He owned property in Crimea. He had investments in resorts and restaurants there. He still had a 4.5% share in Aeroflot, which flies holiday makers there. He once tried, unsuccessfully, to persuade Nikki Haslam of its charms. I went to that awful weekend in Crimea. Alexander flew us all out on some lumbering plane to his hotel that he'd got it fairly hideous, you know. And there were lots of us, like 40 people they flew out, a lot of hoorays. And one saw how beautifully Crimea must have been. Oh, the country. Russia was putting huge roads through everything and lumbering lorries trailing along it. It must have been ravishing Crimea. In the aftermath of the annexation, those investments in Crimean hotels and leisure parks looked a bit shaky. The Lebedevs would need Russia's help, Vladimir Putin's help, more than ever. And to get it, they would have to prove their worth in Britain. I'm Paul Karwana Galizia, and from Tortoise, this is Londongrad.
large groups of pro-Russia troops surrounding Ukrainian bases, ordering their forces off of them so they can occupy them. America is officially calling a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Russian troops spreading out throughout the uh, strategic Crimean Peninsula. The annexation of Crimea was engineered by a man called Vladislav Surkov, who worked in President Putin's office. The international warning to Russia to end its invasion is being ignored. Just two weeks after the invasion, Alexander emailed him with an idea. What if a group of public figures, people like Alexander, wrote an open letter comparing the annexation of Crimea to the referendum on Scottish independence? And maybe there could be a conference of world leaders to negotiate a settlement. Alexander knew just the place for it, at the Chekhov Theatre, which he sponsored. Even before he wrote to Vladislav Surkov, Alexander had already warned Putin's office that the invasion would damage tourism in Crimea. Invasions tend to do that, I suspect. And Alexander had an ingenious plan to fix the damage. He proposed that the Kremlin send its staff on mandatory holidays to Crimea and offered discounted flights on Aeroflot, the airline in which he still had a shareholding. The organised recreation, as Alexander called it, would be for employees of the Defence and Internal Affairs Ministries and state-owned enterprises like Gazprom. Alexander's open letter was never published. Instead, he wrote an editorial under his byline for The Independent, in which he appeared to criticise the Kremlin but still proposed the Crimea conference and warned against further sanctions on Russia. He was backed up by Evgeny. I think if sanctions were to go any further, I think the city of London and London, London's economy would have been affected. But I think now there is not going to be any further incursions into any land, not, def- not, not eastern Crimea and definitely not anywhere further. So I think it's now, t- now time to talk. The Lebedev's approach was two-pronged. While Alexander lobbied high-ranking Kremlin officials behind the scenes, Evgeny doubled down on his mission to ingratiate himself with Britain's officials. And it was going pretty well. This may look like a bit of a stunt, and in a way, it is, it, of course it is a bit of a stunt. You know, we uh, are just getting a tiny idea of what it's like to, to sleep out rough in London. In 2015, Evgeny and the then mayor of London, Boris Johnson, were filmed sleeping on the streets of London together to raise money for an evening standard campaign against homelessness. So that's why it was important for my media group to get behind this campaign. Wearing black beanies and anoraks and snuggled under sleeping bags, they shared a bottle of whiskey and chatted. We've been told this evening it takes about seven days on average for people who are sleeping on the streets to start... um, having mental problems, and you can see why you really can. This hadn't come out of the blue. Remember the lunches in the last episode? The ones Boris Johnson and Evgeny started to have after they met at a charity do? Well, they continued. And remember Boris Johnson's trip to the Lebedev's villa in Umbria? Those trips had become annual events. Boris Johnson went to Italy every October until 2016. And when he wasn't in Italy with Evgeny, he was often at one of Evgeny's increasingly opulent London parties. I mean, nobody I know had done that kind of gathering of famous people. 
for 20 years, or you know, not since Salol's and not since sort of Dana Cooper or Cecil Beaton, although we didn't have that many famous people in one room. Nicky would know he's a natural socialite. So would the man who described himself to me as a professional social climber, Nimrod Kramer. This is the peak. When you live in London, there's no, well, higher to reach than being in Lebedev's parties. Nimrod's a writer from Israel. He moved to London about a decade ago and was starstruck by its world of members' clubs, exclusive events and social codes. He made it his mission to break in. And one of the first events I happened to snuck into, that's my hobby, sneaking into parties, was the Evening Standard Theatre Awards. I chatted to him over a pint of lager at the Grapes Pub by the river in Limehouse in East London. Yeah, I'll show you later. It's for two people. It's really cargo. It's the pub that Evgeny bought with Ian McKellen and McKellen's then partner. I came in somehow mumbling some names on the guest list that I knew were inside of saying I'm the plus one. I met so many people inside from the Vogue editor, Lady Anna Wintour. She was sat with Lebedev. I have a picture from then, 2012 it was. I just walked up and I wondered who was in the front table. It was Lebedev, Anna Wintour. Anna Wintour's son was there, the, uh, Stephen Fry. And they were all t- sitting next to this cool... 29, 30 years old, I think he was back then. And I took a selfie with him. So from that moment forward, I knew that I have to sneak into each and every party. And I started to understand the calendar of the parties, the Christmas party in London, the summer party. Annually, I always try to get in there. Sometimes Nimrod's attempts worked. Sometimes they didn't. I've spoken to countless people who went to Evgeny's parties and events. People with an invite. But few would agree to be interviewed. I thought that's because they feared being socially ostracised. That they didn't want the invites to dry up. But when I finally found someone prepared to pull back the curtain on being a guest at an Evgeny party, I learned there was a more formal reason. I'll come to that in a few minutes. Okay, well, I'm Matthew Norman. I was a columnist for The Independent and um, many other newspapers for some 30 years. Matthew first met Evgeny at a dinner in Mayfair and liked him. He said Evgeny was a good listener. I was the kind of person that was like favoured servant status, I think. I mean, I think we got on. I think we were quite fond of each other. But, you know, in, in, in sort of Edwardian novels or Agatha Christie novels, the local doctor might be asked to the great house to make up the numbers at bridge. And also, I think great people or people with pretensions to be regarded as great need little people to magnify themselves. So you want a few of them scattered around the room. In 2015, he was invited to Evgeny's Christmas party in a flat on Portland Place, just off Regent Street. So I had a few vodkas at home and turned up. And um, I'm glad I did, really, because it was it was like a sort of masculine-fueled dream. You can't quite believe what you're seeing. So you walked into this hallway, and it was almost impossible to move. But everywhere you looked, it was like an animatronic Madame Tussauds. Everywhere you looked was someone who would be recognised in at least 160 UN sovereign states. So thither was David Cameron, and hither was Ian McKellen, and Mick Jagger, and... literally too thronged to get through without a cattle prod or a taser so there was a little room at the side with a bar which was much needed so I nipped in there and asked the barman for an octuple 
vodka on the rocks and I just take take a breath and I look around the room and I think one of the more surreal sights of a highly surreal evening was the sight in the corner on a sofa so unmoving that she might have been recently embalmed of Dame Shirley Bassey and I just thought this is completely surreal. Alexander Litvinenko solved his own murder. As he lay dying, he told British police his tea had been poisoned by two Russians he'd met at a hotel. The new year rolled in, in ways that were much less glamorous, but almost as surreal. Today's report named the men as the likely killers, accused the Russian state of ordering the hit, and accused Russia's president. Almost a decade after Russian agents murdered Alexander Litvinenko in London, the public inquiry report into his death was released in January 2016. New investigation concludes that many suspected that the deadly plot likely went all the way to the top of the Kremlin. Marina, his widow, had campaigned for it for years. Home Secretary Theresa May had resisted convening an inquiry so as not to jeopardize Britain's relations with Russia until Vladimir Putin annexed Crimea. Now at last, Marina and her son and Natalie, who attended the inquiry's hearings at the Royal Courts of Justice, had some answers. Because we got the report and naturally flicked to the back page to find out what, <laughs> what, what the actual, you know, the actual meat of a judgment was. And right at the end, it's sort of the coroner saying that this almost definitely happened, you know, the help of Russia and probably at the behest of Putin. So him saying that directly. The coroner who headed the public inquiry was clear. The FSB operation to kill Mr. Litvinenko was probably approved by Mr. Petruchev, then head of the FSB, and also by President Putin. He not only confirmed that Litvinenko's was a state-sponsored assassination, he confirmed what many people suspected all along. The assassins were sent to London on the orders of Putin himself. It was a finding that may have surprised Evgeny. Before the report was released, Evgeny tweeted out a conspiracy theory that Litvinenko was murdered by MI6. He described it as interesting and added certainly more to it than the generally accepted Putin link. But now, the Putin link was officially accepted. If Alexander Litvinenko's murder wasn't enough for Britain's political class to sharply correct its course with Russia, then surely this, this should have done it. But they had other things on their mind. David Cameron announced the in-out referendum on Britain's European Union membership and said he was for Remain. But his number one frenemy, Boris Johnson, wasn't so sure. A few days after the announcement, in late February 2016, Boris Johnson and his then-wife Marina Wheeler hosted some friends for dinner at their Islington home. Justice Minister Michael Gove, his then-wife Sarah Vine, and Evgeny, who turned up, as usual, impeccably groomed and suited. In the stylishly dishevelled drawing room, Michael Gove argued for Brexit, while Boris Johnson grew increasingly agitated. Tortured, even. 
over whether he should join him. Sarah Vine, meanwhile, was in agreement with Marina Wheeler on the debate, saying whatever was most likely to keep the boys happy. She described the scene as being all a bit surreal, and then it got even more bizarre. Oliver Letwin, a senior cabinet minister, was patched in on an iPhone. He spoke alongside a lawyer, explaining the complexities of law around sovereignty. Evgeny, Sarah Vine and Marina Wheeler, meanwhile, tucked into slow-roasted lamb. They tried to make polite conversation while the politicians talked, with Boris Johnson shushing them every time they got too loud. Oliver Letwin was trying to persuade him to come out in support of the Remain side. He failed. This was the night that Boris Johnson decided he'd join the official Leave campaign with Michael Gove. It was a gamble that paid off for him. Really paid off. And Evgeny was there to witness the moment it all started. Well, at 20 minutes to five, we can now say the decision taken in 1975 by this country to join the common market has been reversed by this referendum uh, to leave the EU. The British people have made a very clear decision, and as such, I think the country requires fresh leadership to take it in this direction. For Evgeny, who one former staffer says liked the Brexit crowd, the referendum result provided a reason to party at Stud House. The other one that was particularly memorable was the one that was um, on the Sunday after the Brexit vote in um, Christ, 16, June of 16. And I had no idea. I thought it was just going to like a little Sunday lunch. So I turned up pathetically with some desperately cheap, mediocre bottle of wine and then saw that it was this massive marquee in the grounds of Hampton Court. Despite his surprise at the event, Matthew Norman was invited to the party. And for once, so was professional social climber Nimrod Kramer. My big break came when after the Brexit referendum in 2016, Lily Allen, who became my friend suddenly by DMing me. She said there's a party at Lebedev's house. She said she could take me with her. We go in really early to this like wonderful country house around Richmond, and the only people standing are Nigel Farage, Rupert Murdoch, and Sadiq Khan, and then Lebedev bringing drinks to them. Lebedev brought drinks to them. Yeah, he brought drinks. He was like in a home vibe the way he dressed as opposed to Nigel Farage who was like over the top with British flag shoes and Rupert Murdoch like it was a Miami party so here is the Lily Allen and Sadiq when I came in and here is me before I spoke to Rupert and Nigel Ebedev is behind Rupert they can't see him Lily Allen was at the time an object of Evgeny's fascination One of her friends says that Evgeny even suggested they get married. That's why he invited her to Stud House, his bodyguard warning her not to make a scene. Went off to the loo and as I came out, uh, Lily Allen was staggering about, taking pictures and live tweeting and... This, this, this is official leave party, no? There's no leave party. Yeah. No one ever celebrates. Just pretended to do a selfie with Murdoch and Farage. 
but actually took a video. I've watched the video. You can see Lily Allen grinning in sunglasses, smartly dressed waiters holding trays of champagne flutes, a huge flower arrangement, and Rupert Murdoch and Nigel Farage looking like the cats that got the cream. From here, there's another. This is me and Ian McKellen in the tent during the lunch. Uh, Patrick Stewart. This is a famous person, I can't remember his name. It's hard to get people on the record about Evgeny's parties. For Nimrod, it's all about breaking into them and exposing them. But he never made it to the Lebedev's places in Italy. Matthew Norman did, along with a few of the people from Evgeny's private office. He headed out on a 7am EasyJet flight, mind, not the private jet Evgeny uses for more illustrious guests. The vodka drinking began that afternoon at Palazzo Terranova. A late supper of fish followed, and the drinking continued. And by about five the next morning, I was thinking, really, I've pretty much had it with this. But it was, it was like being with, um, you know, if you read books about Princess Margaret on the Caribbean island of Mystique, it was like no one could go to bed until she rose. And it was exactly like that. I've heard stories about people being woken up for trying, trying to go to bed and then being, being hauled back down for more merriment. It was fun. I mean, you know, I mean, I was, uh, uh, but after about 25 hours of being up and a litre and a half of vodka, I kind of had enough of it. The following day, Matthew was getting ready to return to London. But before I went, he took the time and trouble to bring out his wolf handler and his two wolves, um, Boris and Lara. Um, it's ratcheting it up from the white cat, isn't it? Speaking to him, I got a clearer sense of why so few people have been keen to go on the record about Evgeny. Not long after Matthew's trip to Umbria, Evgeny's chief of staff, a position that one person told me was indicative of Evgeny's serious person aspirations, got in touch with him. Yeah, well, it came as a bit of a shock to me. This nice uh, Aussie guy, Stuart, uh, emailed me in um, early winter of 2017 to say that uh, as I'm spending more time in Evgeny's orbit or whatever he said, perhaps it would be a good idea if I sign one of these agreements. I read it and I, th- I thought this is completely dulali. It's demented. I mean, it, it, it seemed to cover pretty much everything that had ever happened in human history. So it would have precluded me ever writing or speaking about not only Evgeny, but anyone who'd ever been on any of his premises, which included the business, you know, in Kensington. So that would have that would have been anyone who worked for the Evening Standard or the Independent or the Daily Mail, which is in the same building, or any of those titles. And then reading on with a mixture of sort of amused horror and sheer disbelief, it appeared to place on me a, a kind of legal obligation to stop other people talk, saying disparaging things about him. And if not, if I was unable to do that, then I must report this to his representatives. Matthew did not sign. We had like he took me out for lunch a few weeks later. He didn't mention it. At the end he handed me um what he described as a less thermonuclear NDA and I just put it in a drawer and never looked at it. While Matthew didn't witness any particular event that you think warrants such a thermonuclear approach to secrecy, others who attended Evgeny's Italy parties did. 
and after speaking to them on background, it's easy to see why Evgeny used NDAs. The Italy trips mostly follow the same timetable, drinking vodka from 5pm around the table where there'd be a copy of a tome called The Big Penis Book, The Fascinating Phallus, and then supper at 10pm. But, depending on the guest list, they could get out of hand. There was a dressing up room. There was karaoke. Boris Johnson did ABBA in a wig. There was the expectation that each guest would, one at a time, dance with Evgeny. If a guest tried sneaking off to bed before that dance, they'd be woken up by other guests. In one instance, including Boris Johnson, pounding on their door and shouting, dance with Evgeny, dance with Evgeny, you have to dance with Evgeny. But perhaps the liveliest party was one where Evgeny's team made a very late addition to the guest list. Katie Price, the glamour model and reality TV star. Evgeny, who really enjoys reality TV and wants people to entertain him, thought she might spice things up. He was more right than he knew. He flew Katie Price in on his private jet, where she enjoyed free-flowing champagne. She continued drinking, now vodka, at Palazzo Terranova. And then she joined guests, including Joan Collins, Liz Hurley, Boris Johnson, his then-wife Marina Wheeler, and one of his brothers. Evgeny seated Katie Price next to Boris Johnson, who was foreign secretary at the time, hoping they'd get close. When, as usual, Evgeny expected all his guests to stand up and give a toast to him, he tried passing over Katie Price. To her enormous credit, she stood up, and all the other guests looked down awkwardly. Katie Price said people usually only wanted one thing from her. She said, you all want to see them, don't you? Then she lifted her top to expose her breasts, turned to Britain's foreign secretary and told him, they're like granite. Addressing the rest of the party, she then said, does anyone want to come in my mouth? Little wonder then that Evgeny was insistent on NDAs. Or why Italy's external intelligence and security agency, which we'll hear more from later on, described the Lebedev's parties in Umbria as Luce Rosse. Red light parties are said to have happened both in Italy and London. The persistent rumour is that the Lebedevs used these parties to collect what the Russians call compromat on politicians. Material that can be used for blackmail. The allegation is, of course, rubbished by two frequent attendees I spoke to and Evgeny himself. But given everything I've heard over the last couple of months, it seems rash to dismiss that theory out of hand. Even if the palazzo and castle weren't bugged, as some people seem to believe, Evgeny has a ferociously good memory, according to multiple sources. And then, there's his father. The art of compromat is something KGB officers practiced extensively. Alexander continued the practice when his bank came under investigation by Russia's general prosecutor for fraud. He instructed his security company to tail the prosecutor and then released a sex tape, claiming to show the prosecutor sleeping 
with two young prostitutes. As it happens, the prosecutor was also investigating Kremlin officials for corruption. And the FSB's director, one Vladimir Putin, wanted them off the case. Alexander met Putin at a flat in Moscow, along with one of the women who featured in the sex tape. Alexander told Putin she was ready to testify against the prosecutor. Soon after, Putin declared on national TV that the sex tape was genuine. The prosecutor was sacked, the fraud investigation into Alexander's bank collapsed, along with the corruption investigations into Putin's Kremlin allies. That was back when relations with Putin were good. When they soured, Alexander himself became the target of a compromat operation. In 2012, a Russian web journal published a secretly recorded video of Alexander in bed with different women, Ukrainian prostitutes, on multiple occasions. He said it was part of an FSB plot to harass him. In the video, as he enjoyed his time with the women, his friend Elton John's classic hits, Candle in the Wind and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, played in the background. Friday, 15 December 2017. The Lebedevs' annual Christmas party at the grand townhouse overlooking Regent's Park that they rent from a Swedish mining tycoon. This year, the party has a Soviet Union theme. Inside the townhouse, there's a mural of Stalin, dressed in green military uniform, a hammer and sickle on the windows, a nice sculpture of a pistol used to dispense vodka shots, a stuffed bear, a gun on a red double bed in the basement, a caviar station, dance floor DJ, and some attendees taking drugs. The guest list included Benedict Cumberbatch, Elton John, Rupert Murdoch, and politicians. London Mayor Sadiq Khan was there, so were Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt, Peter Mandelson, and Tony Blair, who spoke to Evgeny for 20 minutes in the Stalin Room. Notably absent was Theresa May, now the Prime Minister. May had rebuffed so many of Evgeny's invitations that he turned against her. The turning point was when she refused to meet Evgeny at Stud House for tea. She suggested, instead, that he take the three-quarter of an hour drive to her constituency in Maidenhead. He declined. It was shortly after this that Evgeny decided he'd be the next Evening Standard editor, George Osborne, who was Chancellor of the Exchequer until Theresa May sacked him. No experience in journalism, busy four days a month advising the investment company BlackRock, but, above all, someone who intensely dislikes Theresa May. Not unlike her foreign secretary, perhaps, the most notable guest at the Christmas party, Boris Johnson. In other years, the Lebedevs hired two Johnson lookalikes to attend. While most of the politicians arrived early and left soon after, Boris Johnson slipped in and out through a back entrance and stayed late. Meanwhile, Russia was about to carry out another attack on British soil, even more brazen than the murder of Alexander Litvinenko. The two people, a man aged 66 and a 33-year-old woman, 
were found unconscious in the Maltings area of Salisbury City Centre. Investigators are working to determine the source of the chemical. Military specialists will help remove contaminated items. Sergei Skripal, a Russian double agent, and his 33-year-old daughter are in critical condition. It is now clear that Mr. Skripal and his daughter were poisoned with a military-grade nerve agent of a type developed by Russia. The next time Boris Johnson visited the Lebedevs, they'd have a lot to discuss. It was another meeting which Boris Johnson would have wanted to keep secret. But he didn't manage it quite so successfully. That's all in episode 5 of Londongrad. Thank you for listening to Londongrad. This series is reported by me, Paul Carana Galizia. The producer is Katie Gunning. The sound designers are Carla Patella and Tom Kinsella. The editor is Kerry Thomas. I hope you are enjoying the series. I have been reporting on the corrosive effects of illicit money coming into Europe since I joined Tortoise four years ago now. If you're not already a Tortoise member, I'd love to invite you to join to get early access to my investigations, to all our slow and considered journalism, as well as invites to exclusive newsroom events. To join Tortoise as a member, use my code PAUL50 for half-price membership for £50 a year. Visit tortoisemedia.com slash Londongrad.